So AJ's in London. He's actually getting back earlier than we expected. Apparently, he says he's supposed to be back on the 8th. We hope AJ's doing good in London. Anyway, Sam Mustafer, Morgan Moses. This is a really bad intro compared to what Sam praised me for two weeks ago. But what's going on, guys? Welcome into the Fireside Bears podcast brought to you by Empire Sports Media. You know me. I'm your host, Jose Kosh. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. And I just launched my personal YouTube channel at Usaid Koshal. All right. Follow Sam on Twitter, Facebook, and any anything and everything else to do with social media at SJSteve9. This week, in place of AJ, we've got our lead TikTok guy. He's also a Bears writer. He's from the Wego, all right, as in West Chicago, but he lives in Florida for whatever reason. Maximus in the house. That's Max with two X's. I don't know if he's actually got two X's, but you can follow him on Twitter at MaxSmithESM. Max, I'll start with you because it's your first time on here. What's up, dude? I'm doing good. Glad to be here. Uh, happy to be talking in front of a mic again. I used to do this in college, so this is exciting. Always a good time talking Bears football. You don't really get to meet a lot of people down here in Florida uh, who are abreast with Bears knowledge. So it's always good to be talking to talking to guys. Everyone's down there talking about Tebow. Yeah, so I'm, I'm specifically in the Jacksonville area, so we oh, are in the yeah. cult of Tebow. So Gainesville is the closest, or Jacksonville is the closest city to Gainesville, which is, of course, where the swamp is, which is where Tebow left his uh, legacy. Uh, nowhere else in the NFL, I guess, maybe Denver. Uh, but there is an absolute, they, like, literally, he is the patron saint of Jacksonville. If there is a single person to be, like, the canonized saint of a city, it is Tim Tebow in Jacksonville, so... I think they brought him in for the jersey sales and the numbers speak for themselves. But oh, 100%. Yeah. Big, big Gator town here. Not me. I'm not even a big college football guy, but that's because of Curtis from Illinois. Well, I know our boy, Anthony Rivardo, who's our colleague as well, he's a big Giants fan. He lives in Florida too. But no, there's a lot of Giants fans in Florida, right? I mean, yeah. it's just like, yeah. Like, it's. It's so weird, and we'll get into our Bears talk in just a moment here, but it's so weird because you have the Bears, you find Bears fans in, like, all 50 states, and then just randomly you find, like, a lot of Giants fans in, like, Florida for whatever reason. You have, like, some Giants fans all the way in Texas, which makes for a good rivalry when you have, like, Giants and Cowboys twice a year. But pretty much, dude, the Bears are so interesting because they're one of the fan bases you can find pretty much wherever. I'm pretty sure there's a Bears fan from Japan on twitter we've got a ton in london it's fun because it's funny because two years ago when we actually had the bears 100 convention for bear report we did a meetup and there's people from like london and all over the place that like came specifically to say hi to us the writers but guys before we get into today's content if you're watching this live or if you're listening this we're sponsored by audacia sports they just dropped a great justin field sticker pack you need to go get it they're super cheap i've got some on the way for max as well as sam I know Sam's super duper fired up. I know why are you pointing that way, Sam? My window's that way too, in case you're wondering. But guys, news comes out today around 7.20 in the morning central time. The Bears are bringing in Morgan Moses. Max, I'll go to you on this one. Offensive tackle, you have Jermaine Ifedi back. But what are the implications of bringing a guy like Morgan Moses? Yeah, so I, I was scratching my head a lot at this uh, for a couple of reasons. Moses is a fantastic talent. His record speaks for himself. Uh, the amount of snaps that he's played consecutively, the guy just consistently produces. Uh, and his release was kind of a shock considering his PFF grade in the last season was as high as his career. So he's been aging like a fine wine. He's been playing great. But the thing that makes me scratch my head is 
He doesn't have a contract at the moment. He was making six, five million uh, guaranteed. Well, not guaranteed, but he's made six, five million last year. Uh, what exactly are we going to have to shill out to get this guy in a Bears uniform? Uh, is that going to be worth it? I think the numbers speak for themselves. But my question is, where are we going to move people around to make this thing happen? Um, I think that's a question that needs to be asked. I think we're really excited that he's, you know, at least in talks with the team at the moment. But I think there's going to be a blitz of just player news, player news, player news, contract news, free agency signings here coming up. Uh, and I think that Moses is ideally a target we can add. I think that the left tackle spot, so the right, the left tackle spot, because he'd be bringing in, hip, no, right tackle, my bad, because that was Charles Leno's. Uh, he'd be bringing in for the right tackle spot, which is currently basically empty. I mean, if Fetty is there for some reason, Juan Castillo is super high on him, but the entire fan base isn't. Maybe he knows something we don't. Uh, but I'm, I'm really, I don't know. I, I'm like cautiously optimistic here. I'm just trying to figure out the math in my head. I, uh, you ever seen the movie robots and there's the scene where it says like upgrades, people upgrades that that's what came into my mind when I saw that this report came out. And it's actually funny because I think he got cut. What was it a week ago? Maybe week and a half ago, something like that. And I basically tweeted like, sorry, bears fans, but it seems like the bears are set with Ifedi and Borum. And then this comes out today and freezing cold takes is going to pop up on my Twitter feed at some yeah. point with that. But, <laughs> but in all honesty, like to kind of echo off your point, like, I think that the fact that there's interest here and the fact that he is going to be visiting the bears at all, like that's a good sign. And that shows me that the organization is investing into their quarterback and no, not any Dalton. I mean, Justin Fields, because Moses is a guy who definitely is an upgrade at right tackle. I mean, I give Ifedi where I credit's due because he didn't play terribly last year, but you obviously know Moses is the better talent there. And the fact that we're going from signing Ifedi and drafting Arlington Hambright to trading up for Tevin Jenkins and going after a guy like Moses shows me that there's going to be an investment in the offense and that's going to continue to happen because the offense has not been where the Bears want it to be. And now that you have Justin Fields, there's a clear sign and a clear indication that like, hey, this is our guy. We're bringing him whatever he needs. Um, even with the limited cap space, if they can find a way to get Moses in, I mean, I'll be happy. I'll be very, very happy. Yeah, and we'll get to your question in the chat here in just a moment, Bryson. But, Sam, you talked about investing in the quarterback. I think when we look at the last time that Ryan Pace invested in a quarterback, it was Mitch Trubisky. We all know what happened. You will never be able to talk about the history of the NFL without mentioning the 2017 draft because that draft kind of shifted the landscape because it was the passing of the torch from Brady to Mahomes as well as Deshaun Watson. But, hey, Pace failed to invest in a quarterback. I mean, he's taken, what, five off? Prior to 2021, I did my research. Ryan Pace had only drafted five offensive linemen. Grasso, Jordan Morgan, Daniels, and Whitehair would be your two highest drafted guys. And then you had Simmons and Hambright from the 2020 draft. But the point is, is that the organization's finally doing something right. Now, for the Bears fans that are like, well, you paid Jermaine Afedi $5 million a year. Look, you're not wrong with that. But you paid him that money at a time you didn't know Morgan Moses was going to be around. And so I haven't looked at Ifedi's contract, but if there's a way you can get out of that contract, simply making him a training king 
training camp cut, then you do it. And if not, you know what? It's not a big deal because he's only here for another year, which is 2021 at this point. But Bryson asks in the chat, and Sam, I'll go to you on this one. Any chance the Bears sign cornerback Brian Poole? Oh, you know what's so funny is part of our, our itinerary today is any other names the Bears should keep an eye on, and that was who I was going to bring up. But um, what I'll say about Brian Poole, and, and I'm going to pull up my notes here a little bit. Listen, he produced well with the Jets. Only played nine games last year, but in the two seasons that he played for the Jets, he was a solid contributor. Um, I, I think, obviously, the nickelback position for the Bears is up in the air. you got guys like Thomas Graham. Uh, I'm assuming Duke Shelley, Kendall Wilder, maybe. There's guys who are going to compete for that spot. But I, I think Poole is an interesting option. He's a younger player. I believe he's in his late, I think he's like 28. Uh, his AAV right now is roughly $6 million, but... Again, do you want to bring in another investment in a spot like the nickelback position? Um, is this a guy that you can get cheap? Probably not because, again, he played well in New York. Does New York want to retain a guy like this? Maybe. I would be okay with Poole if you feel like training camp's going and, and your options aren't great. Again, I love cornerback competition. I love competition at all positions, but cornerback in particular, you never know what guy you're going to get out of training camp who's going to start week one. Um, if the Bears can find a way to make the money, I think it's definitely something to keep an eye on, especially if uh, rumors about like Rashawn Breland don't pan out and you don't feel great about your nickelback spot. But I'm all for bringing in guys like that. I do think that injury is a concern that he had in 2020. Again, playing only nine games, you only have a limited span of what you can watch on tape. But you look at his 2019 resume, it's pretty solid. It just kind of, you know, the biggest question comes down to what's that price tag? Yeah, I think looking at Brian Poole, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to adding him, but then at the same time, I wouldn't want to add him because the Bears do have a lot of young talent. Because you have Duke Shelley, you have Kendall Vildor, and Max, I'll let you go in a moment here. And then you also have Thomas Graham Jr. But then there's also Tease Tabor, Artie Burns, Trey Roberson. A lot of players that are unproven right now, so... Would Poole be more proven than some of those guys? Yeah. But then at the same time, defensive coordinator Sean Desai talked about the versatility and the competition that already exists within the cornerback room. Now, why would you add someone to that? I don't think the Bears are necessarily 110% desperate when it comes to adding a cornerback. But Max, should the Bears add Brian Poole here? And then I want to add something on regarding Morgan Moses. Yeah, for sure. So I, I again, Brian Poole was on my list too, um, just because he's on PFFs, uh, quick and easy there. But you know, doing some more quick research, I don't think he's the right signing here. I think if we do target, I'm not even that sure. The only reason to bring Breland in is yes, he's a talented, proven cornerback, uh, but he's really just going to be there for that veteran atmosphere, that veteran effect for the younger developing talent. As Sean Desai mentioned, he, and the cornerback coach, the whole room needs leadership, needs talent, especially with Kyra Fuller's departure. I like Steven Nelson. I think if there is a free agent on the market right now that we should be looking at, and according to Jeremy Fowler, we have, we've had conversations with Steven Nelson, is bringing him in because he's a talented, pretty discounted, younger cornerback who is already proven. So I'm thinking just there's never a bad thing of having too much talent in the secondary, especially with Sean Desai. We know he's a genius with the secondary. We know he worked with Vic Fangio, who pulled the one of the greatest secondary defenses out in the past decade. I'm excited at the prospect of Sean Desai as a DC, but I think we need to surround him with talent. And I think that 
Thomas, you know, Graham Jr. isn't entirely proven at the moment, right? So we think of him as a solid talent, as a solid prospect with the hopes that he'll develop into a proven talent, but he's not quite there yet because he hasn't played. So for me personally, I'm looking at names like Steven Nelson and Brian Poole. Well, I'm looking at Steven Nelson because he's probably going to come in at a discount compared to Brian Poole. Not that Brian Poole shouldn't be signed by a team. He's great talent. But I personally just like this guy because he's a hard-nosed football player too. He has forced fumbles. He doesn't. He isn't afraid to jump the gun, and he's a starting cornerback. So if we have worries at the nickel position, I'm not because of our our talent there. But I do have worries about our outside cornerback positions, and I think Stephen Nelson really does solve that issue. So if there's a name to look for, he played with the Pittsburgh Steelers last year, and he used to play for the Kansas City Chiefs. Stephen Nelson is a name to be kept on the radar, and the Bears have spoken to him according to Jeremy Fowler. And by the way, for those of you guys that didn't know, Morgan Moses actually, because I was writing an article today on Fireside Bears about the investment in the offensive line. Go to EmpireSportsMedia.com slash Chicago Bears to check that out. But Morgan Moses has not missed a game since his rookie season. Ultimately, that's durability right there that the Bears have not had at right tackle for a couple of years now, even though Bobby Massey started for five years. But sticking with this segment here of, hey, players that you should sign, I will go with... So Zach Ertz would be a solid option, but then again, you'd have to move on from Jimmy Graham. And I'm not going to address Jimmy Graham too much because I've ranted about him so much on this podcast. (laughs) But if you don't get Morgan Moses, you know what a good fallback option is? Mitchell Schwartz, right tackle, was with Matt Nagy from 2016 to 2018. Schwartz is the mid-round pick. I believe he was like a fifth-round guy. Yeah, he's coming off like a torn Achilles or something. He's got some major injury. But if he shows he's healthy and... June goes by and he's still on the market. And then July goes by and he's still on the market. And all of a sudden, you're at that point in August where you're cutting your roster down to 55 guys first week of September. Bring Mitchell Schwartz in for a workout because I would take Schwartz in a heartbeat over Moses, but certainly over Ifedi because he played at an all-pro level. But I see Samuel says here a comment. He's like, a lot of Met players with an aging front seven smiley face. Hey, listen, I said this last week. I dropped the tidbit on my YouTube. I was like, look, the Bears are at a point where there is Akeem Hicks is getting older. We can't deny that. You have Khalil Mack, who's 30. Robert Quinn was the biggest disappointment in probably the entire league last year. I think that when you look at it, the Bears have an aging front seven. They've also lost some talent because they lost Roy Robertson Harris. They lost Brent Urban, who shout out to Kate, by the way, for liking my tweet today. I will say this much, though. You're getting Eddie Goldman back. You have Bilal Nichols. Mario Edwards Jr., pretty solid. Angelo Blackson's going to be a good rotational guy. But, Max, what's to make of this aging front seven? And then, Sam, we'll go to you right afterwards. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and, you know, what was really interesting to me, and I mentioned this in, in my article on Fireside Bears, uh, backslash, um, is the interesting decision by the front office to wait until the seventh round to bring in a D tackle in, in Kairos Tonga, and then to not really actively search for free agents uh, in the defensive line position outside of bringing in a couple undrafted free agents, uh, which was really the only sign of the front office looking at the front seven and going, well, we need to make some improvements. Um, I think that there's a lot of confidence in Bilal Nichols and Eddie Goldman, especially with Goldman returning. I think that they're looking at those two as they're, they're solidly young. I think, and, and honestly, this is the way that I look at the game now is the front seven doesn't win you football games anymore. Um, we don't need a solid, 
you know, the four down linemen anymore. Uh, statistically, it's looking like we're ending up at, by the end of this decade into a consistent three, four style defense where now we only have three people on the line. Matt rules defense in Carolina is kind of trailblazing the way secondaries win games these days. And I think that's what the bears are noticing. And they're starting to pivot is let's start focusing on developing young secondary players Let's kind of take a step back. Let's use the talent we have, though it's aging. They still can get the job done. The run game, the run defense has still been consistently good. So I'm not even that concerned about our young defensive line because I think we're focused on the right side of the defensive history, which will be who are the teams that were prepared for the defensive shift. And I think the Bears are at the front line of that. And I think that the league will be put on notice here with Sean Desai's defense. And to kind of add to that, I mean, your defense takes a step back, but what if your offense takes three steps forward, right? Look at the Bears' side of the ball in the offense, right? Justin Fields is a young quarterback. You have David Montgomery is a young running back. Tariq Cohen's still pretty young. You have him under contract for a couple years. You look at the offensive line, too. There's a lot of youth there. There's a lot of potential there. And, I mean, the oldest player on the offense, I think, is maybe Allen Robinson at 28. I could be wrong there. But, again, you have a young receiving core. You have young weapons. That is what the priority should always be because, again, kind of to your point, Max, Defenses aren't statistically winning a lot of these games and winning these big games. You still need a solid defense. Don't get me wrong. You look at the Bucs Super Bowl run this year. They were a five seed. They got to that Super Bowl run. Yes, because their offense was one of the best in the league, but they had a defensive push that was just good enough to keep them in games. And you saw how Mahomes struggled without that solid offensive line against that pass rush. You still need a solid pass rush. You still need a couple players on defense. But let me tell you something. If the Bears defense takes a step back, but the offense takes a step forward, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be a happy camper because that shows me a sign that finally the Bears are not going to have to rely on the defense to win games like these past four years have been since 2017. Even when the team struggled back then, the defense was a top unit. And yes, that means probably the end of guys like Akeem Hicks. You could probably throw in Danny Trevathan, um, even Khalil Mack in the next couple of years. But if that means the emergence of guys like Justin Fields, Tevin Jenkins, um, you know, Darnell Mooney, Daz Newsom, et cetera, I can list off so on and so on. You know Ryan Pace can build a defense. He did it in 2018. You know he can do it again. So, yeah, obviously it's a clear indicator this defense is getting old, but but Max, you've said all that stuff perfectly with the younger guys. And at the end of the day, if our offense gets takes a step forward, I'm still happy about this Bears team. Sam, if, if if that happens, I'd say pinch me because I don't think we'd be watching the Chicago Bears. I think it would be some weird, like, bizarro Bears <laughs> where our offense is better. I'd be, what, what team is this? We're in an alternate reality. <laughs> exactly. That'd be crazy. What I'll add on is this, and Bryson, your comment in the chat, I don't think the Bears move on from Pat O'Donnell after this year. I'm not even going to let you guys answer it because the Bears don't have a first and fourth round pick next year. There's no way that they're going to go like looking for a punter again. But what you saw this offseason was a changing of the guard. And you saw a changing of the guard because Ryan Pace invested so heavily into the defense. And then all of a sudden, as soon as Matt Nagy got here, they used their... They use eight draft picks, the Bears, between 2020 and 2021 on offensive players. And so this NFL draft kind of solidified the Bears finally turning into an offense-first franchise. And, yeah, we tried it in the past with Mark Trestman. That didn't work out, but Trestman was never qualified to coach anyway in the NFL. He was always a CFL guru where the game is significantly slower than anything the NFL has ever been. I'm pretty sure preseason NFL games with backups and four stringers are faster than – 
anything that the CFL has to offer, but you ultimately look at it. What this draft is, is this is the bears are finally turning into a modern franchise. You guys touched on the fact that if the offense takes two or three steps forward and the defense takes one step back, that's the trend we're seeing. We're seeing teams load up so much on offense. They're saying, we know it's a pass first league. Max, you talked about the secondaries winning games. Secondaries are definitely winning games in a pass happy league, but people also have to understand you can't, invest so much into your secondary that it comes at the expense of your front seven. Why? Because for offenses, who's the guy that makes the aerial attack work? It's the quarterback, and you still need people to get after the quarterback. What's up, AJ? He's calling in from London. But hey, we mentioned Sam Mustafer and a couple other offensive linemen here, guys, and this is going to be the main part of today's show because, Max, your article breakdown on Sam Mustafer is absolutely blowing up on Facebook in those groups. Shoutouts all all you guys nice. that read Max's articles. But, yo, let's talk offensive line, guys, because we've touched on quarterbacks and wide receivers. When you look at offensive line, Max, I'm going to go to you first. Break down Sam Mustafer for our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a big offensive line guy. I used to play center uh, for about eight years, so it has a special place in my heart. Uh, I you know, used to go to football camps, like I was mentioned before the show, for offensive line. So I love my hog mollies, and I love my tight ends. Uh, those are my big areas of focus. So Sam Mustafer is an incredibly interesting talent, considering his unlikely path to becoming a consistent, reliable starter. Uh, you, you know, we look at him as a former uh, captain, offensive captain at Notre Dame. We look at him as a rock on that offense to a eventual, you know, taxi squad practice member for the Chicago Bears, who is thrown into a starting position because week after week we had injuries uh, that completely decimated the consistency of what I thought was a pretty solid offensive line entering the season. So Sam Mustafer comes in against the Saints, his first game, I think that was week week nine, I think week eight, and he has a pretty okay game. It's nothing to write home about. It's nothing awful. He performs pretty well. But what wins him that starting spot, he gets hurt that game, by the way, too, because everyone gets hurt this year for some reason, uh, is two weeks later against Detroit, he comes back, and he just plays the best game of his career, stuns me, stuns offensive line coach Juan Castillo, stuns the rest of his linemen, and he becomes a starting center, and I doubt he loses that position. So what we see quickly with Sam Mustafer, and I explained this in the video and then in the articles, check it out if you haven't seen it, is he has an incredible, incredible sense of athleticism and his ability. He has like this third eye that He's not the strongest guy. That's a weakness for sure. You don't want to see an offensive lineman being tossed around like a rag doll, but he has this ability to quickly shift the balance of his feet and his center of gravity that keeps him centered, that keeps him on the ground. So though he's getting pushed back, he's still leaning forward somehow. And he has this great ability to move his hips. So he's pushing back. He's getting pushed back from the stronger defender for sure, but he's moving him away from the play. So he's like losing, but he's turning that into a win. So I like to see Sam as like the little engine that could, because he's not the biggest guy. He's not the strongest guy, but he's getting up that hill. He's making plays. There's only maybe two plays in the game that I watched. I watched the, every offensive snap where he made a mistake and it cost a couple yards, maybe one or two. But every time he's, his athleticism allows him to get to the second, uh, to the secondary, allows him to block linebackers, which Centers against 4-3 defenses need to do that. If there's not a zero tech, your job most of the time is to 
pound that linebacker. And he does it. Or if the linebacker's stronger than him, guess what? He takes him out of the play one way or another. He has effort. He has athleticism. He's consistent at the snap. He's consistent off the jump of the snap. Only thing I'd like him to work on, and guess what? That's the easiest thing to work on, is getting stronger, putting on weight, lifting those weights in the offseason. Juan Castillo already said to Brad Biggs that he's put on 15 pounds since he started that game against the New Orleans Saints. So he's getting bigger. He's getting stronger. I don't look at him like an Olin Cruz. His ceiling is an Olin Cruz. I don't think he's like the next Hall of Fame center. Shout out to Olin Cruz. Get him in the Hall of Fame. But I think he has potential to be a really, really good center that's bleeding towards uh, Pro Bowl. So I think he has every tool necessary to do that. And I'm really excited to see where he goes next. But for anyone that's out there that's thinking that he won't be the starting center, I'm willing to put money down. DM me because he'll be the starting center. That was a beautiful analysis, and you I was already sold on him as a starter, but if I wasn't, I think that's enough to sell resell me, I guess, once again. Um, you said I'll go to you. I, I, I'm just in awe. <laughs> yeah, Sam, thanks. We'll come back to you in a moment as you recollect your thoughts. I think when you look at Mustafer, what had happened was this, is that you went into the offseason with such limited resources and you weren't sure how you were going to address the offensive line, but the dominoes fell your way with guys like Tevin Jenkins as well as, um, what's his name, Larry Barome. But the reality of the situation is that Mustafer was really impressive last year. And I just have this thing for film, Max, where what happens is I watch – these guys on TV live during the game. And I notice things and I'm like, okay, that player right there. Then I go back and I watch the all 22 on Tuesday mornings during the season. I automatically see, I'm like, that guy's a hidden gem. I mean, Sam Mustafer is legitimately going to be your starting center. And it just solves a bevy of problems because with having Mustafer at center, what you're doing now is this is you're making James Daniels expendable. You're making Cody Whitehair expendable. Whereas before you would have had Daniels as well as Whitehair at left guard and center. And then your right guard position would have been a question. And Bryson's got a comment here. Does Alex Bars have a chance at right guard? Look, I'll say this regarding Alex Bars. They Bears experimented with him last year at both right guard as well as right tackle during training camp during that week four Thursday night showdown against the Bucks, or it might've been week five. Actually bars came in and played left guard as well. Bars can play all over the place, but I still think that compared to a guy like Sam Mustaver, he is a year away. Now that's not going to, that's not to discount bars. I really think that he has a lot of potential to be a future starter because he's only going into year three and offensive linemen in this league when they're durable and healthy, they do play 10, 11, 12 seasons. Bars can be really good, but the question is how much has he improved? I just think that for him, the starting reps are not there, but you look at the rest of this offensive line. Some people are like, Oh, well, Tevin Jenkins, it's a mistake that they're playing him at left tackle. If you watched him at Oklahoma state, you knew that he played pretty much every position except center. And I do year round scouting on these guys. I mean, I'm, already looking at guys for 2022, but Jenkins played wherever. And to play left tackle in the NFL, here's the difference. Look, the Bears are taking Jenkins and they're plugging him into left tackle at day one because they want that transition to be smooth. It's not like how they've handled guys in the past where they've put them in one position and then halfway through the season move them because that's what leads to a mess. So Jenkins is getting the coaching that any other rookie left tackle would be getting from day one. 
Really like James Daniels. I know he's going into a bit of a prove-it year, but I do think he's going to be very solid. Cody White here is hands down the best player on this offensive line. I put this in our group chat today. My starting five from left to right would be Jenkins, Daniels, Whitehair. Then you have um, Mustafa at center. You have Whitehair at your right guard spot. And then you're going to have Jermaine Ifedi. But Sam, go ahead. I think the one thing before I, I list off, because I mean, honestly, my, my starting five is going to be a mirror of you said's, but, but I think if you look at the difference between this year and last year, right, the bears go, they sign Jermaine Ifedi. Um, they sign, can't even think of his name from the Packers as a swing tackle. And they draft two seventh round offensive linemen, COVID injuries. It happens. I mean, I think the Titans game, we were down to like six healthy offensive linemen or whatever. I get it. Injuries happen. But it's kind of to the point of the switch for Tevin Jenkins. The difference is that there's more time and it's being done properly. Because last year, you were still trying to prove that this was a 2018 Bears roster. So you went out and you thought you had the group for the offensive line. You thought Juan Costello was going to be a magician. He's a very, very good offensive coach. Don't get me wrong. What he did with his offensive line, given what he had, was still very impressive in my opinion. And you expected it to just be productive enough to help out the Mitch Trubisky, Nick Foles dynamic, which makes me want to throw up in my mouth. Um, You look at 2021 now, you have this rookie quarterback in Justin Fields. You bring in two very good rookie offensive linemen. And obviously, there's a risk in putting Jenkins at left tackle, right? You're hoping the transition's going to work. You're hoping he's going to be this franchise left tackle. Obviously, there's no guarantee because of the limited reps he had versus at right tackle at Oklahoma State. But that being said, to kind of your point, there's a little bit more kind of lenience and time. There's no like immediate pressure because you have solid depth this year. If you sign Moses, you have even better depth this year. You have guys that need to prove it this year. You have options because of the development of Musafir and even bars. You have a lot more options. You have a lot more kind of relaxing moments where it's like, okay, we don't need this group to be the best offensive line unit right away. If it's not going to all work the way we think it's going to work, because again, when you invest into an offensive quarter or offensive quarterback, you invest into a quarterback. And I always keep bringing up Justin Fields. Cause I think that's what is important about this. When you invest into the offensive line, it doesn't have to immediately work because you know what you have in a long-term window. The Bears are no longer in that short-term, we still need to prove that we can win, jobs are on the line window. We're in a, we have a guy who we think is our guy. We brought in these pieces. We're going to see how it works. If it doesn't work, oh, well, you look into 2022 and you try again because that window of experimenting and stuff is back open kind of similar to what you had with Mitch when he came out in 2017 with the 2018 offseason. But to kind of keep this and wrap this up here, my starting five is the same as you said. I I think that's most likely the best option for the Bears. If Moses comes in, I believe you put him in at right tackle. But otherwise, I believe that's probably your best starting five for the Bears this offseason and for the season moving forward. Yeah, and there's what I'll say is this is that when we look at because Sam, you brought up the 2018 team. When you look at that 2018 team, you know what you had? You had a lot of depth because you had Eric Cush and Ryan Winsman, who were your two main depth guys. The Bears did not have that in 2019. They certainly didn't have it in 2020. So that Titans game that happened in Nashville, they pretty much had to make patchwork with like 
you know, no-name offensive linemen like Brada, Torre, and essentially what's happened is they've rebuilt some of that depth back up because you have Barome, you have Alex Sparks, you have Elijah Wilkinson, who you signed from the Broncos, that could play right guard or right tackle. Bryson asks, and let's talk A-Rob here, guys, because all's been quiet on the A-Rob front except for last night. He was actually going after my former colleague, Daniel Goodwin, on Twitter. But Bryson's like, any chance the Bears get an extension done with Allen Robinson in the coming weeks? July 15th is the deadline, so we're about a month and a half away. I'll say this much. The Bears are not in any way, shape, or form going to be extend- negotiating with Allen Robinson because ultimately when you look at it, this is very clear to me that had they been serious about getting Allen Robinson, what would happen is this, is that they would have some way somehow gotten an extension done. Now with that said is... This entirely off the table, no. But it's just been tabled for the rest of the year. They're going to have to revisit this next offseason because you can't... If you're Allen Robinson right now and you look at the potential that Justin Fields has, you have to be telling yourself, if this kid's the real deal, then I might as well take a bit of a discount to stay in Chicago knowing that there's going to be a proven quarterback option compared to me testing the market in free agency and some team with a young quarterback going after me. But I'm not going to know if that guy's really as proven as Justin Fields is. Because Justin Fields, and I'll let you go right here, Max, is as proven as it gets. Yeah, so I have a bunch of thoughts on this, and I've been thinking about this for a while. Um, I was with Anthony every step of the way. We were actually at a Tampa Bay Lightning game when Kenny Galladay signed with the Giants, uh, even though you know he spent a good night in Chicago. He shut out the two cities and figured out which one he liked the most. Uh, but back on the O-line, real quickly, we do have pushback, which I think is incredibly interesting, that we do have a ton of depth at the moment. So it's really entire competition. Uh, Juan Castillo brought stability and What's the second most important thing? Consistency. David Montgomery balled out when the line was consistent. So that's what I'm really excited for coming up is we have consistency. But back to A-Rob. Look, this market was awful for free agents across the board. I mean, look at the list right now of names that haven't been signed yet. There are some big-time names who are genuinely talented players who haven't gotten signed anywhere yet because this free agency market has been awful, but it's been specifically worse for wide receivers. This has been a terrible market for wide receivers. So if Allen Robinson tested the market, he wouldn't have gotten nearly as much as he would have wanted. That's why it was so surprising that Kenny Galladay got the haul that he did, but that's why he, they literally locked him into a room. Dave Gettleman locked him into a room and said, what, do, what does it take to get you? And he said, well, I'm not going anywhere else. Give me as much money as you possibly can. And that's why he walked away with such a big contract for Kenny Galladay. Now, what I think is going to happen is I agree with, I agree with the sentiment for we say just a bit. Uh, I think that he has every right to walk away. I think he does. I think he has every right to go searching for that ring. I think he's a great piece for a team that's ring ready. That needs that last, you know, infinity stone. Um, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, I don't, I don't even really know anymore because the dynamic in the league is so different. I'm thinking maybe Patrick Mahomes is looking for another wide receiver because for some reason Andy Reid gets Mahomes whatever he wants. I'm looking at other teams who might have a bunch of cap space, specifically considering that the cap is now over $200 million. It's It's raised more than it was last year, which was a considerable dip with the COVID-19 pandemic. So we're looking at teams who have more money to spend, 
Allen Robinson is probably going to test the free agency market. I don't see the negotiations happening. I completely agree. And I think that they they told him, look at the market right now. You really want to test this or do you want to sign this? Do you want to sign this tender right now? And we'll get this done with and you got you can be free at the end of the year. I think that's what, what that's exactly what happened. Yeah, I mean, I think it's tough because, uh, again, you you get this talent in Allen Robinson back in 2018. You see the impact he's had on this offense. And after you look at the list of quarterbacks he's been thrown to, it's almost like, man, maybe this guy does deserve a little bit better. But but I like the, the point that you guys kind of were both – both kind of went off in opposite directions a little bit because on the one hand, I do think, like, say Fields comes out and he balls out. Like, we're all hoping he does, right? And you're Allen Robinson, you're thinking, I can I can work with this kid. I'm willing to stay on a discount. That's great. On the other hand, you know you're a proven talent, and you know there's going to be some teams out there who are going to give you a lot of money. Um, I'm Again, I'm not going to list off teams again just because for the sake of the argument, we know what we're talking about here. But I don't think – I'm going to just answer this question. I don't think it's going to happen in the coming weeks. If it's going to happen, I think it's going to happen at the end of the season. I do not think if – if, 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 if five times – if an extension is going to happen with the Chicago Bears, it's not going to happen in the first couple of weeks or in the coming weeks, excuse me. It's not. It's certainly tough to look at, guys, but I also see we got AJ here in the chat saying, I fed you over Daniels because someone from Windy City Gridiron put a tweet out. I'll be honest, when you look at these offensive linemen I've been scouting for five years, one of the big things that I can tell you about Iowa offensive linemen, their interior O-linemen, they can play pretty much wherever on the interior offensive line. You can have them at center, you can have them at left guard, you can have them at right guard, and that's what made James Daniels such an appealing prospect. Because If you remember that 2018 draft, there were people labeling James Daniels a first-round pick. Now, it happens every single year in the draft that there are players that just are projected to go the mid to late first round and then all of a sudden they slip to the second round they're actually early second round picks cough cough some guy by the name of tevin jenkins but i think that when you look at ifetti over daniels you legitimately can't be serious about that i'm not trying to bash b-rob but it's just the point that i do not agree with i think overall when you look at it daniels has proven enough that he's an effective left guard in the NFL. He's not a center, unfortunately. There's a big difference, you have to understand, between playing center in the NFL and playing center at the college level. Because when you're a center in the NFL, you essentially, and Max, you can expand more on this because you actually played on the O-line, you need to be able as a center to be the quarterback of the offensive line. You also have to be able to be the first guy that's getting to the second level and is dictating what goes down in the run game because you're making all the checks and the adjustments that need to be made. You're calling certain things out like certain techniques. Ultimately, when that happens, Cody White here has established himself as the center. Maybe Sam Mustafer is getting there, but yo, there's no way you can start Ifedi over Daniels in any way, shape, or form, but go ahead and break it down, Max. Yeah, so a couple things just off of that. Uh, you're completely right. The center is the quarterback of the offensive line. His job is to read the blitzes just like a quarterback would be and negotiate with the line exactly what coverages need to adjust at the line. So he's tapping his guys. He's pointing guys out. And in the huddle, you need to know, in the pregame, you need to know, they come with this scheme. If we come with this scheme, we have to adjust. We have to peel. So you're not just running up and engaging with a guy. You're not just pushing a guy in a certain direction anymore or taking a bucket step a certain way. You're micromanaging your game, and you're working with your quarterback every step of the way. 
So for a guard to be thrown into that and then taken out and then thrown into that again, it doesn't make any sense because you're not building that relationship within the line. That's incredibly important is everybody in that line is going to be looking towards you as the center, as the anchor. You need to be the loudest person on that line. You need to be the captain of that line and you need to be the moral just compass of that guide essentially. So for, for us to be like looking at James Daniel as a center who did it in college, you're completely right. He played a couple games starting at center back in 2018 and 19, but he never performed as well as he could, as he did as a guard than he did as a center. So ultimately I don't look at Daniels as a, as a center option here for this season. I don't think the offensive line coach Juan Castillo was looking at him at a, as a center. Um, I, I don't think we should be even discussing that. And I think there are people on Twitter who are doing that and I don't blame them. They look at his numbers and they're good. So you're like, Oh, well, let's just plug and play. Unfortunately, that's not how an offensive line works. If it did it'd be a lot easier, uh, but all of us would be offensive linemen coaches. So there's a reason that none of us can just walk into a uh, NFL office and just say, Hey, I can be your offensive uh, line coach. Um, but you know, I, I'm not even going to entertain the argument that a Fetty is better than Daniels because he's not, uh, Daniel's strength is off the charts. He's ridiculously strong and he's ridiculously quick. His feet, his footwork are immaculate. Uh, there's a reason he was, he was taken off the board as soon as we get our hands on him. Um, and he's been a fantastic talent and his loss was the reason the O-line went through so many shuffles. That's the reason we completely lost stability and consistency was because we lost Daniels and then we lost white hair. So when this line has white hair and Daniels plugged in, ideally at the left and right guard, things are consistent. It's a tight ship. Things get blocked. Things get pointed out. Blitzes get picked up. People aren't confused. David Montgomery runs for a touchdown or Justin Fields has the times he needs to, I don't know, run 70 yards for a touchdown or, or throw a bomb, whatever the hell he wants to do. So ultimately my starting line is the same as these guys this way, same as these guys. Uh, and I think, if there's any other ideas out there, uh, you need to watch the all 22. I'm, I'm like, I'm seriously, I'm not trying to be a jerk here, but that's legit. Like do some time, do some scouting. Be, be crazy to assume that uh, if Eddie would be over James Daniels. Yeah. I'm, I'm not even going to entertain this. This, this is a, this is a, I don't know if you guys can hear this. This is a for clicks. You hear me clicking my keyboard. That's what this is for. I'm sorry. I, I don't want to need to be disrespectful there, but I have to tweet you just to clicks interactions. Like it, it, there's no, there's no comparing it. I don't even have anything else to add to this because again, I don't want to even entertain the thought like Daniels is the better get player is, is pre injury was probably one of the best offensive linemen on this unit. Like Daniels coming back this year is huge for the offense. I'm not going to entertain this thought. I'm not hands are off. Before we get into our OTAs here and we're not going to wrap up anytime soon because Bryson's giving us a lot of great topics, but he's like, what type of defense are the bears going with after all the signing in your guys' opinions. Look, I've said this before. I'll say it again. And then, Sam, I'll jump right over to you. But they're going to be going with a more aggressive Vic Fangio-type defense. When you look at Chicago's defense the last two seasons, to say they underperformed would really be an understatement because they did so – it wasn't a bad defensive unit if you look at the production. But anyone who knows defense and 
saw what the Bears did and knows the schemes and the coverages, knows that the talent was never utilized to the fullest extent because Khalil Mack, yeah, he dealt with injuries, but Khalil Mack played through those injuries and he was still pretty impactful. But what I'm looking at is there was a legitimate lack of pass rush because Robert Quinn, let's just call it how it is, in a lot of ways, yeah, he's a pure pass rusher, but at his worst, he's just a glorified run stuffer. You look at Eddie Jackson. Eddie Jackson was not targeted, which is why there was a dip in production from him the last two seasons. The cornerbacks are good. I mean, Kyle Fuller, a great open field tackler. Jalen Johnson had 15 pass deflections last year, which actually led all 25 rookie cornerbacks drafted in 2020. It's a good defense, but you're going to see a lot of too high looks, I think, to kind of cover up for the deficiencies at cornerback. That means you're going to see more Gibson as well as Eddie Jackson. But also, they need to crank the pass rush up. And I really think that with... The re-addition, I should say, of Eddie Goldman, you're going to have that big guy in the middle that's going to eat up so many of those double teams. And then what you're doing is Eddie Goldman's essentially the key to opening of this defense up again. Because when you look at that 2018 team, who opened the defense up? It was Eddie Goldman. All the attention was going to Khalil Mack, Akeem Hicks, Roquan Smith, those guys. But ultimately, when your defensive tackle is eating up those double teams and taking on two guys at once, then what you're doing is this. You're freeing Akeem Hicks up. You're freeing Roquan Smith up to go sideline to sideline because Roquan Smith is able to shoot the gap. Same with Danny Trevathan. But what do you think, Sam? Well, it's going to utilize its best players to its best advantages. I mean, it's going to be versatile. It's going to be fun. Like, that's another thing. This is going to be a defense that's going to come out in the first snap of a drive and it's going to make you go three and out again. Honestly, in my honest opinion, even with the changes at cornerback and stuff, the best players are going to be in the best positions, right? I think we're going to see Eddie Jackson get back to a more comfortable role, the spot that he feels the best at. I think we're going to see some of these edge rushers be more successful. As long as I don't have to see Khalil Mack drop into coverage and Buster Scrine have to guard the best wide receiver in the slot and coverage. I know he's not on the team anymore, but you know what I mean in man coverage. This is going to be a defense that's going to reciprocate the defenses of Vic Fangio when he came back here in 2015. I think this is going to be a fun defense to watch again. Yeah, the talent I don't think is still going to be there from comparing this defense to defenses of old, but this is going to be a defense that's going to be versatile, it's going to be fast, it's going to be aggressive, and that is exciting to think about. Yeah, so on that, uh, like, there's a couple things to consider uh, when we're talking about adjusting a defensive scheme. One, Jay Rogers is gone, our defensive line coach, left. He's with uh, Staley over at the folks in Los Angeles Chargers, who potentially I think could be a suitor for Allen Robinson. The second uh, negotiation isn't happened July 15th or that night. They'll give him a call. Say, hey, at the end of the season, we've got a guy named Justin Herbert. We might make a run with him. Um, but I think this is just a, just a thought. We ran a 4-2-5 nickel last year, which is a basically a 4-3 with weird little adjustments here and there. Most of the league runs a defense that's similar to the 4-2-5 nickel. It's built on the concept that you don't need a bunch of depth at the middle linebacker position, which we, we don't. We have great we have a great middle linebacker in Roquan Smith. We have a solid middle linebacker in Danny Trevathan. And like you mentioned, Roquan Smith's ability to run the run the gaps, shoot the gaps, run the sidelines, play the pass coverage is fantastic. He he's he's an all all-star talent. Super happy he's with us. Hope we get a deal extension done ASAP. It's going to be a great future talent. I'm the list of great linebackers in Chicago Bears history because he's going to be up there for sure. Um, but, you know, I'm looking at Sean Desai and I'm looking towards really a return to Vic Fangio-style defenses because that's he's from the Vic Fangio tree. 
Um, and Chuck Pagano focused more on the Jay Rogers mantra of defensive line wins you games. And when you have talent like Akeem Hicks and Khalil Mack and Eddie Goldman, of course you're going to go, yeah, defensive line is going to win me this game. You have the best, most efficient pass rusher with the highest WAR in the league. Of course you're going to find ways to use them. But I'm looking at the future, and like I said earlier, I don't know if we're going to stick with this 4-2-5 nickel. I think we might put three on the line. I really do, especially if we get rid of Hicks. We have a bunch of nose talent. We really Eddie Goldman and Belial Nichols are both true nose tackles who can play the position. They can stuff up the gaps for sure. Your job as a nose tackle is to take up one to two gaps, which is what they can do. So I'm really interested on in seeing exactly how they're going to change up the scheme now because, the like we mentioned, the D-line is just getting older. We're not injecting a whole lot of new talent. So offenses are going to know what we're throwing at them defensive line-wise. But I'm really excited about the amount of coverages that we're going to be hiding. I'm really excited about the last-second changes in, in audible coverages that are going to happen or coverage audibles that are going to happen under a, a Fangio-esque defense. Um, and, you know, Vic Fangio took his defense to the Broncos, and he's running this modified 3-4. And the, a crazy Kyle Fuller ends up out there. Uh, I think it works. I think it's, it works when you have solid secondary talent. I think this is a great prove-it year for Eddie Jackson. I think he returns to form. Um, and I think we find Jalen Johnson has a great year. I think Kendall Vilder put a lot of work in the offseason. I'm excited to see what he turns out. Uh, but, yeah, Bryson, your comment. I think the Bears are going to go back to a 3-4. I really do. I don't see them sticking with a 4-3 with a modified uh, just because of the amount of talent they have in the secondary. And Desai is a secondary guru. Um, analytics is suggesting that that's where the trends are going in the league. And when, when you look at our schedule, we're not playing big running backs. We're playing some of the best quarterbacks in the league. So we're really going to have to scheme our defense for the season, which is these massive air raid attacks. How do we deal with that? It's not having four guys, five, you know, zero blitzes all the time. It's having lockdown secondary defense. And ultimately, I think that's what's going to happen. And let me add this on. I don't think Bears fans know this, but Sean Desai has a background in the secondary. He's actually AJ's step uncle, by the way, Max, if you didn't know that fun fact. But also, you have to keep this in mind that you have Mike Adams one of the assistant secondary coaches played in the NFL at a very high mm-hmm. level for a long time, as well as Deshae Townsend, who's I believe the head secondaries coach and Deshae Townsend had like a 10 or 12 year run with the Steelers where I think they won the two Super Bowls too, with Bill Cowher and Mike Tomlin Deshae Townsend, a really smart guy. I mean, I remember mm-hmm. watching him play about 10 to 12 years ago at this point, almost. So the bears, everyone's concerned about the secondary, this the secondary that, but Hey, they have a lot of talent, but guys, the Bears are back at Hallis Hall officially, not for rookie minicamp, but for OTAs. They held their first practice today on Tuesday, June 1st, but it was closed to the media. Tomorrow, Wednesday, June 2nd, as you're listening to this, the audio version, OTAs are going on, or they're probably already complete if you're listening to this in the evening. But the media is going to be there for about two days, which is going to be Wednesday, June 2nd, as well as Tuesday 
or Wednesday, June 9th. But Max, I'm going to go to you on this one. OTAs have started. Let's talk Justin Fields versus Andy Dalton because the big thing here is who's going to get the one reps. And Matt Nagy's reiterated this saying Andy's going to get the one reps. But then you have that conflicting report from Jeremy Fowler talking about how, oh, well, they're going to leave the door open for Justin Fields to start. Let me just give you guys my two cents here. Andy Dalton will get the one reps. That's just inevitable at this point. But do not rule out Justin Fields eventually taking this job over. Now, when I mean Justin Fields taking the job over, I mean that he takes it over week one or in the second or third week of training camp. I still think Andy Dalton's going to get the one reps while in OTAs because it's only really like a three-week period here. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with the first part. I 100% tomorrow and today and the rest of this week and the rest of OTAs into training camp, probably into, you know, preseason week two. Uh, Andy Dalton is going to be taking the one reps and he's going to be starting these games. But I think the closer we get to week one against the Rams prime time, uh, we're going to see the coaching staff change their tone. I think that this is a, all a deliberate plan. Uh, I think the fact that they called Andy Dalton before they drafted him, class move, unlike uh, some other organization, uh, is to let him know, like, hey, we're going to take this guy. I know we told you you'd be a starter, but this guy fell into our lap. Are you okay with this? You're still going to get your money. Uh, are you okay with helping us develop this this talent? Um, so I, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not entirely sure. I, I think there's a good chance Andy Dalton starts week one. I really do. I think it's not out of the realm of possibility that we see the Red Rocket start week one a- against the Rams. Do I want that to happen? No, not at all. Uh, but is it probably going to happen? I, I could see it. I, I think really what we need to see, especially as the media are coming in, finally, they're allowing people in. Um, the, the great wall has been, has been reduced is how is he doing like what's the body language look like uh how is he where is he standing i think there's a lot of things that we can see at the training camp to give us an identifier whether or not these reports about him potentially starting or Nagy's hard firm on andy dalton are true or not uh i mean as a fan i want to see justin fields game one i think every fan wants would would say that they don't like they want to see our quarterback our new guy out there uh but if it's in the best interest of the team you know hey put andy out there um i was watching his mechanics uh for a project i'm working on with anthony because i'm wondering are they really trying the alex smith and uh mahomes thing are they really trying that mentorship level right now uh and you know it's kind of the same. None of the, those two quarterbacks were, were nothing the same. And Andy Dalton and Justin Fields are, are basically nothing alike. Uh, Andy Dalton's like throwing motion actually disgusts me. Uh, I think it's terrible. Uh, Andy Dalton's a proven quarterback, uh, but I think if we're nitpicking mechanics, Andy Dalton isn't like the greatest. Uh, so I'm not really sure what the plan is there. I don't really know what Andy has to teach Justin, except for that veteran mentality of, Hey, I've been around the league a long time, Ken. And I've won a lot of games. Andy Dalton's won a lot of games that he started in. I remember there was a conversation is Andy Dalton, an elite quarterback that used to be a conversation people had. Um, but I mean, here we are fast forward. Now we're wondering, will Andy Dalton start week one against our rookie? Uh, so there, there's a lot of questions out there, but again, really excited that media will be allowed, and a lot of those questions will probably be wrapped up. Yeah, yeah, I think just to kind of piggyback here a little bit, and then we'll we'll kind of move on to our next thing. I think it's interesting because you think about last year, and these clips would air of like 
Jimmy Graham catching a, a wide open pass with no coverage and everyone, I, even I got excited, right? Like I think the excitement of seeing the bears practicing again is going to kind of outweigh the fact that like, these are OTAs. These are not training camp. These are the practices that pre-draft the bears were not even going to participate in for the most part. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those things where, yes, do I want Justin Fields to walk out week one as a starter? Of course, but I want it to be because he earns the job. And again, I think a lot of times what happens is, is we get so excited with all these new toys that we have that we don't realize like training camp and OTAs doesn't always end up resulting in success on the field, right? Like we all were very excited. I think for example, about the potential of Nick Foles beating out Mitch Trubisky. Look how that happened. Right? So I'm kind of, and you said it earlier in the podcast, I'm cautious. I'm cautionately optimistic I'm excited that there's going to be like kind of a true quarterback competition this year. But at the end of the day, if it is in the best interest for Dalton to start, at least for now and get the ones, then that's what should happen. Because at the end of the day, he is the proven quarterback. Say what you want about him, but the guy has had a pretty good NFL career and he kind of earned that contract that he got this year. You know, maybe too much money, but at the end of the day, like, he played well enough to get a contract from the Chicago Bears. So until there is something truly that comes out that says, hey, this Fields kid is better right now, Dalton's going to be the starter, and I can accept that. My passionate fan doesn't accept that in me, but at least for now for OTAs, yeah, Dalton should be the starting quarterback. What I'll add is this on is when you look at the Bears last year schematically for their quarterbacks, they ran two different systems. They ran two different schemes because your Mitch Trubisky system was kind of this play action scheme to protect the quarterback, whereas Nick Foles was just this pass first that ideally Matt Nagy would have wanted to run with Mitch Trubisky. Now, Andy Dalton's interesting because you can kind of run both of those schemes with him. So you're going to be bringing a lot of those similar concepts, but really with Ju- and th- those are the same schemes that Justin Fields is going to thrive in. By the way, it's just at some point you want Justin Fields to make the transition to being that pass first guy because Bryson talks about here in the chat. He's like, I want to see deep passing because we struggled with that last year. When you look at this offense and you look at the Ohio State offense. There's a lot of similar concepts, Bryson. I'm going to tell you right now. I broke this down last week. I'll break it down this week. You're always going to be looking for the big play first, much like Justin Fields was doing at Ohio State to guys like Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. And then if your big play is not open, which is going to be your first progression, which in this case would be Darnell Mooney, then you look at, well, is Allen Robinson or Anthony Miller open in your intermediate to short? And if one of those guys aren't open, you go ahead and you check it down. But, guys, let's talk storylines because storylines – The quarterbacks are always going to make storylines here in Chicago, but really with any young rookie quarter, with any rookie quarterback, you're going to have storylines for 31 other franchises as well. I mean, Jordan loves making storylines this off season, Max, you're an ultimate throw when it comes to that stuff. But Sam, I'm going to go to you on this one. Give me a storyline that you're watching for, for the two phases of OTAs. The battle for the wide receiver spots. So I think this year the Bears actually had a solid group in total coming into training camp. There are a lot of new faces and there are a lot of guys who need to prove it this year. I'm keeping eyes on guys, obviously, like Anthony Miller, Riley Ridley, Javon Wims. And then you have a lot of newcomers, right? Marquise Goodwin is starting to build a really good relationship with Justin Fields. We've seen it on social media. You signed Damian Bird from the Patriots, a productive wide receiver who might get phased out just because there's too much talent, right? You brought in Chris Lacey after this rookie training camp. There are Daz Newsom as well as another guy who 
has taken headlines because of his personality, but could end up being a solid contributor on the offense. This is going to be a lot of fun to see what the Bears do with wide receiver this year, because again, do you stick with the guys that you know, or do you have a massive overhaul? Because again, the future of Allen Robinson is unknown. The only guy that you know you have consistently long-term here is Darnell Mooney. And, you know, that's another question. Is Mooney going to take the next step, especially with potentially Justin Fields taking the starting job at some point? The wide receiver spot is going to be a fun spot to watch and a fun spot to read about. I'm excited to see which guys are going to end up coming out when the cuts happen later in August. But in OTAs, that's where the battle begins. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Uh, just thinking about potential storylines, I think that's probably going to be the most interesting one to read about is, is Anthony Miller going to make the cut? Uh, or are we going to ship him off as soon as possible? I think they kept him with, he, he's, I, I'm, I'm pro Anthony Miller. I think he's going to have a good year. I think he makes the final 52. I think he has a good year. I like him as a talent. I think he has every tool necessary to be a good slot in the NFL. Uh, We just talk about that leadership problem. We talk about that, you know, little swagger problem uh, that unfortunately I think is a little over, you know, I think people complain about it too much to be completely honest with you. It was at the end of the game uh, in a wildcard game that was about to be lost anyways. Um, But I mean, he's a talented guy. I think really the like most interesting thing that we brought in at the wide receiver talent this year in this offseason is speed. We brought in a lot of speed. And I think what people need to remember is some of these guys aren't going to be brought in for reps at the wide receiver position. They're going to be brought in for reps at punt return and kick return. Uh, With Cordell Patterson gone, unfortunately, we need a good, solid option at that that spot. And I don't know if Nagy's going to throw Tariq Cohen out there at the punt return anymore after his injury last season. So I think we're looking at Marquise Goodwin as a potential returner. I think we're looking at um, Bird. He's pure speed. Uh, we're looking at him as a potential kick returner. Uh, we brought in guys like uh, Khalil Kerber. He's pure speed. He's a one-cut back. He's got ridiculous balance and poise, and he brought back a couple touchdown kick returns uh, his last year at VT. So I think we have an incredible like level of depth, and Khalil Kerber's a running back, but he could play wide receiver if they want him to. They could develop him into a slot if they wanted it to. Uh, I don't think they should, but you know that's the dynamic offense that we're currently looking at, which makes me so excited. Uh, I think Newsom, Daz Newsom, makes the 52. I think he just does. I think he has too much skills not to. But I think that pick was pointing at Anthony Miller and saying, look, you're replaceable, dude. We can get somebody else if you can't prove it. So guess what? Prove it. You have a year to prove it to us. I think his talent alone carries him into the 52. I, I don't see him getting cut. Uh, but again, I think I think Newsom take some reps away from him this year. And I think that we're starting to transition into a post Anthony Miller, post Allen Robinson wide receiver core. Yeah. The wide receiver is going to be interesting. Look for me, the one storyline I'm watching for is how healthy are some of these older vets on defense? You mm-hmm. look at Akeem Hicks, Khalil Mack, but mostly Robert Wynn because his cap rate does jump up to 15 million this year and he can't have another disappointing season. Otherwise next year at this time, he is going to be a post-June 1st cup. Bryson, I do think we're going to see a Chiefs-type offense in Chicago. But you also have to understand something is that it took years for the Chiefs to build to the offense that they have now, which means it's going to take a couple years with Justin Fields as well. But, guys, let's talk studs and duds here. Sam, you're a stud, but give me one stud you're watching for at OTAs and then follow it up with one dud. 
My stud's going to be Thomas Graham Jr. I like this kid a lot. Um, I have watched a couple of his highlights on YouTube and stuff. I, I like what this kid's got in his game. He is, is everything I'm looking for in a nickel cornerback spot. I think he's going to compete for that spot. I don't think it's necessarily his, but I think it's his to fight for. Uh, I mean, my biggest thing is, is he took a year off. Is he going to be healthy? Is he going to be a step behind? Obviously, you know, he's not the best cornerback in this draft. Otherwise, he would have been drafted sooner. But he had a fourth-round grade in the draft this year and fell into the sixth. And in a position where the Bears kind of had some question marks in. So I think he's going to ball out during this time. I think this is his opportunity to shine. And, and I feel very confident in him as kind of one of the gems in this draft class. My dud is Riley Ridley. I want to believe in Riley Ridley so bad. I have always kind of stuck my foot out from the past two years. I've been like, listen, this kid gets a shot. Like, I think he can pre pretty similar to his brother in Atlanta. But look, so many people want to advocate advocate for him, and they advocated for him during the season. But when you're a football coach and you have a bunch of players that you have to decide, I can't play all these guys in the game. Ridley clearly didn't do enough to say, hey, you know what? Maybe he's wide receiver four or five right now. Obviously, he's had a couple lingering injuries in training camp and stuff that have him as well. But how long can we defend this guy until we realize, you know what? This just was not a good pick in the fourth round, especially when you look at the overall wide receivers we brought in this year. Like, are you keeping Ridley over a guy like Bird, over a guy like Goodwin? Like, are you keeping him over a guy like Newsom? Probably not. But at the same time, like, it's one of those situations where the Bears are going to lose out on talented wide receivers solely because they just have too many options this year. I don't know if Ridley has deserved anything when he has played to keep a roster spot. I hope he proves me wrong. Honestly, I do. Because if he can play half the way that his brother does, he's he could be a stud on this offense that we find this year. But until that happens, he's my dud. I need to see something out of him this offseason. I need to see something out of him in preseason. He's got to prove it to me. Because otherwise, he's my dud. He's my big, fat dud. Well, I broke down Riley Ridley and Max, I'll let you go in a moment here. I wrote about Riley Ridley for the website and Riley Ridley is a really good route runner. He's decent with separation, but what separates him from, and he's a very good, very good wide receiver when it comes to 50, 50 balls. But what truly separates him from his brother, Calvin in Atlanta is the fact that he just really lacks that speed element. Ultimately, that's the big difference maker right there is Ridley does not have you could say the track level speed that some of these other guys in the room do, but Max, give me some studs and duds, man. Yeah, so I have a couple studs and I have a box full of milk duds because uh, I think there's a lot of lot of fat that needs to be trimmed here from this roster. Uh, so studs for me are going to be Tevin Jenkins. Can't see enough reps of this guy. Um, looking at Khalil Herbert, big on this guy, Juice. I'm really excited we got him. Uh, he was graded incredibly high the fact that he felt so low to us i don't know what it is about ryan pace but whew, he finds these mid-round gems so say what you want about him but he's a, he's a guru with the mid-round draft uh who else do i like that i'm looking forward to daz newsome for sure uh see if he ate enough waffle house in the offseason maybe he's not as fast as he used to be uh i want to see robert quinn i think he's a stud i think he dealt with the injury issues that he kept from the media and from the public for a while but his end of the season production numbers went up drastically. And the highest graded game of his season last year was against the Saints in that wild card performance. So I'm looking forward to seeing where he, where he can improve his game. Uh, and hopefully he returns to form that we gave him all that money for. Uh, so I see him as a stud just because I'm confident in his return. Uh, and of course, uh, Justin Fields, 
because uh, you have to say it, it's too easy not to. Uh, for my duds, uh, I'm looking at guys like Jesper Horstead. Uh, that make me, you know, scratch my head uh, as as to why we're looking at them still on the roster. Uh, I'm looking at guys like, uh, I, you know, Desmond Trufant. I'm not sure if that's a dud. I think he could perform better, but I think he's really just going to be a voice in the locker room, which is good. Um, to, to your comment, Bryson, I think I'm looking at guys like Duke Shelley. Uh, I, I'm not entirely sold on Duke Shelley as a, as a cornerback or just as a talent in the NFL. Uh, I think he has a lot to prove it this year, specifically. I don't know if he can do it. Um, Riley, Riley, yeah, Riley Ridley, for sure. You know, every, There's like two guys on this team that I always have to be reminded that are on the team. Riley Ridley is one of them. I saw him on that commercial, and it's like Chicago Bears wide receiver. And I was like, who? And I was like, oh, yeah, that guy. Um, okay, yeah. Uh, Javon Wimps, he's still on the team, isn't he? So yeah. he's a dud. Um, <laughs> see, I had to ask you because I didn't even know. You, you think he'd be kicked off the team after pulling those stunts, but here he is. Uh, that's a dud. Hopefully he gets off the team. But that's the thing. We're talking about Anthony Miller's problems off the field or on the field. Why aren't we talking about Javon Wimps? Why is he still on the roster? And he hasn't done anything for this team except drop an easy pass in the end zone that could have won this wild card game. But anyways. Uh, those are my studs and duds. I'll have a lot more as the OTAs progress, but I'm just looking at like, why is Jesper Horstead still on the team? Why is Ron Wims still in Chicago? I like, can't believe you went after my my guy Horstead. I I am I am appalled. J, JP is better, so yeah. I, I mean, I mean the other JH. They're both JHs, which <laughs> I think is interesting. Horstead was just fun because I think it was 2019 when he had that catch, and I was like, all right, this is my guy. Like I love love no other reason. And then I was like, he's not actually good at football, but yeah, uh, it was me with uh, Adam Shaheen, but you know, ugh. ouch. Well, my studs and duds are interesting because I do not want to name Justin Fields because I know everyone's going to name Justin <laughs> Tyler Fields. But yes, I memorized his middle name when I was doing research on these prospects. Fun fact, I'm not a stalker by any means. But I think you look at it, man, my stud is going to be Tariq Cohen. I want to see how mm-hmm. he bounces back after that ACL injury. I do know that the let's just say the Bears limit some of the on-field work, and obviously they're not going to be going at full speed, but that ACL injury, it is going to impact. You have to wonder if it's going to impact Tariq Cohen's ability to make some of those cuts that we're traditionally used to seeing him make and just completely roast guys in space. Cole Komet's another really good one. I think when you look at Cole Komet, I mean, he played like 86% of snaps during the final seven weeks of the season last year. Part of that was because of scheme. Part of that was just because they gave him more and more to do as this season went on. And I do think Cole Komet, he's going to take a year to jump, but it's not going to be like massively significant. But if all goes well, the Bears don't need Cole Komet to be the next Antonio Gates or Tony Gonzalez, honestly. Even if he turns into a Zach Ertz light in this offense, which I think he can become, he'll be fine. That's good enough, honestly. And then I've got two duds here, actually. Number one dud is Desmond Trufant, like you mentioned, Bryson. The Bears are not even super committed to Desmond Trufant because when you signed him, you originally thought, well, he's going to be CB2 opposite Jalen Johnson. Look, it's only a million-dollar contract. They can get out of that easily this offseason. And a million dollars in NFL money is clearly chump change when you're paying an aging veteran who only played and started, I believe, like six games last year. But my second dud is honestly, I think, Travis Gibson's going to be my second dud because he didn't 
he had a good year last year, but he was not great by any means. But I will say this. I'm really excited for a guy I think could be another stud in Charles Stoden Jr., a player that a lot of people are thinking is going to be Leonard Floyd 2.0 in the sense that he can get after the passer. He does have some bend. There is some speed to power there. He can impact the run game, but also drop back in coverage. So I want to see Charles Stoden Jr. as well. But OTAs is going to be really interesting because – Bears, obviously, like I mentioned a couple seconds ago, they're not going to be going at full speed, but there's going to be a significant amount of work to be done. And I'm also really interested in seeing, going back to the storyline thing here, how does a full offseason, how is that going to impact Trevathan and Hicks? Because they were noticeably slower the first five or six games of the season last year. Yeah, I mean, I think OTAs in general, like having these practices is huge. I mean, you look at the quarterback competition last year, right? We didn't know if Foles was necessarily better than Mitch. And I think the biggest reason why the Bears started with Mitch was because they're like, we don't have a good read on Foles yet. Listen, you can memorize the playbook. You can know the offense. But until you get enough consistent reps with it that they're like, okay, we know which guy's better. It's kind of a risk to throw Foles out there. And we obviously, we kind of had to learn the hard way last year. And, and I think a lot of guys kind of, I don't want to say suffered, but kind of, yeah, I'll say it suffered because they didn't have OTAs and stuff like that. And they didn't have these kind of months to get back into shape. And listen, you can train as hard as you want, but getting into football shape is different than getting into normal shape. It's just, it's a different monster. So I'm excited to see guys just go out there and just get themselves loose and get themselves ready to play football because I'll be honest, I missed the preseason games last year. They're not the greatest, but I missed being able to see these random guys make plays and like Clifton Duck. Anyone remember him? The slowest defensive back I've ever seen had that interception and got tracked down because he was too slow against the wide receiver. But those things are fun. Those are fun to see. And those fun to see, oh, maybe this guy's going to make the roster. Like, is a Charles Snowden going to make the roster? Maybe. Who knows? That's what's fun about the preseason. And I think, again, I think it is a valuable thing for NFL teams and I'm excited to see the Bears being able to actually capitalize on all this work because, again, I want to see a healthy and, and successful team in 2021, and I think preseason is a big part of that. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Uh, you know, we the, the NFLPA was really big on you know, negating these, these OTAs and these practices in the offseason because they said, hey, we had a lot less injuries this year uh, as compared to other years because we're not working our guys out as more. Now, like you said, that man slower talent uh, for the first couple of games because people weren't as pliable in the words of Tom Brady uh, as they could be. That meant that there was a lot of, you know, curve for these guys returning back to the NFL. Uh, so l- looking, looking into it, I'm happy that OTs are here. I'm happy preseason's here specifically for the rookies. Cause I think this is what's most important to rookies is their first hits, their first reps against NFL caliber talent. Um, but, you know, for the veterans, I'm thinking we might look at a trend started because of the pandemic where teams are just looking at veterans and saying, hey, a lot of these because there's specific veteran camps. A lot of these reps aren't for you. A lot of these OTAs, a lot of these practices aren't for you anymore. Uh, we need to keep you pliable. We need to keep you ready. Uh, but we don't want to hurt you down the season. Uh, Danny Trevathan wasn't hurt for most of the season. Akeem Hicks got knocked up. Uh, but, you know. I, I think that there might be a trend here moving forward after the COVID-19 thing. Uh, we might look at some, we might look at off season differently. And I think that's good. 
one less preseason game. I don't think that'll make that big of a difference. Um, but I think that it's a step in the right direction. I think preseason should be two weeks, uh, ultimately, in my opinion. And yeah, Larry Bourne's a guy to watch for sure. I'm not as sold on him as other people are, but hey, we drafted him. We, we spent a pick on him. That's so third pick overall in the draft arm. So, Borb's going to be very interesting to watch. But hey, guys, listen, we're at the nearly, it seems like we've been on this thing forever, but we're going to get out of here. Before we do, though, listen, I'm going to be on ESPN Honolulu tomorrow for the second time on the Bobby Kieran show talking Bears, Dalton Fields, and so much more. So make sure you download the ESPN app. Tune into that. I'll be on there live. It's live radio, guys. I'm going to be on there at 1230 Eastern, 1130 a.m. Central Time. Okay, before we get out of here, though, you know where to follow us on social media. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok at Usaid Koshal. Follow Max on Twitter at MaxSmithESN. That's Max with two X's. And like I said, I don't know if he's actually got two X's. You can follow Sam on okay. You can follow Sam on Twitter and Instagram at SJSteve9. Check out Gym Class Villains. All right, Max and I are going to be bringing you more YouTube content. But then follow the podcast, guys, on on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok at Fireside Bears. Good morning, good evening, and good night. It's been a pleasure being your host this week. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll catch you guys next week when the Bears are in Phase 2 of OTAs, and we've got so much more to talk about than all the stuff that we just talked about tonight, but we're going to get out of here. Have a great rest of your week, guys. Bear down. Adios.